0: Welcome to the Quali Talks Podcast, a show about pharma and GMP. The pharmaceutical industry is a fascinating and complex field, and it takes countless people to bring a product to the market. In this podcast, we bring you some of the industry's brightest minds who will share their wisdom with you. You will learn about various subjects such as GMP, new trends in pharma, and leadership. This episode is sponsored by Dot Compliance, the industry's first ready-to-use quality management solution powered by the Salesforce platform. Deploying a new EQMS has never been quicker or more cost-effective. And now, please welcome your host, Jan Kugel. Welcome to the QualityX
1: Podcast. I'm Jan Kugel, your host, and my guest today is Chris Morgan. Chris is an expert on sterilization and validation, and we are going to talk to him today about autoclaves. It seems very simple, but issues with this equipment can cost you a lot of time and money. It can set back your production weeks, even months. So it's crucial to avoid it. So we're gonna talk with Chris about how to choose the right equipment for you, how to plan the validation phase correctly, and how to think about the correct user requirement specification and test everything so you don't have any issues down the road, because it's much more difficult to fix it afterwards. So let's get to it. Chris, good morning. Welcome to the Talks podcast. Great to have you on the show.
2: Good morning, Jan. Good morning.
1: So today we want to talk about uh, autoclaves, their uh, purpose in the pharmaceutical industry and uh, how to choose them, how to uh, do uh, the right and correct uh, validation and qualification of the equipment, how to choose the vendors. So it's quite an interesting uh, topic around it. So uh, what is your expertise in the field?
2: Okay, so I, I've been working um, with Article specifically within validation uh, since uh, 2003. Um, so quite a while. Uh, I set up Our company, Thermal Compliance, in 2007, with a focus on um, steam sterilization and particularly autoclaves. So we get involved throughout the project, right from the initial phase of URSs and then all the way through to qualification and and requalification. So I've got uh, quite a a good background in uh, the validation of the process and also from an engineering perspective as well.
1: What are the uses for autoclave? So let's go maybe a bit into general, if we have more newcomers to the industry. So uh, in the pharma industry, where do we use uh, autoclaves?
2: Okay, so um, we'll use autoclaves in in the micro lab, for example. So that might be to um, sterilize any media that we're using uh, within the micro lab. We'll uh, use it within production to sterilize um, equipment that's used in creating the product. So uh, it might be vessels, it could be filters, um, pipework, it could be um, uh, kind of forceps or anything that's used in the process uh, during the uh, production and also um, the terminal sterilization of fluids products as well so uh, they'll go through the autoclave and what we're looking to do is to kill any microorganisms that might be present within the load that goes into the autoclave
1: so what are the major types of autoclaves that uh, we see on the market right now
2: well there's there's really two main types so we've got a, a fluids load autoclave and that's used for terminal sterilisation of things like syringes and bottles and final products. So um, they're sealed containers with an aqueous solution inside, so a, a liquid, water-based solution, and essentially it's generating its own steam within inside that container. And then the other main type of an autoclave is a, a porous load steriliser, and essentially that's. um items that are being placed within the autoclave and we're sterilizing the surface of them. So they might be um, instruments that are used during production that would come into contact with the product. So there's two main types of of fluids and porous load autoclaves, and they have slightly different ways of setting them up to make sure that it's suitable to your process.
1: Okay. And when you choose one, uh, so there are two main types? but uh, probably there are a lot of vendors. So what sets uh, the vendors apart? Yeah, sure. well,
2: it really depends on, on what your process is. So I think, uh, and this is quite a difficult thing to do with with any uh, facility, but you need to understand how you're going to be producing your product, what kind of equipment is the autoclave going to be used to process. So if we can understand that as early as possible, we can start to formulate what kind of um, functionality we need from that autoclave. So if it's a porous load autoclave, for example, and um, what loads is it going to be processing? Are they going to be difficult to sterilize? are they going to be difficult to dry? Do we need any added functionality? So if it's a porous load autoclave and, and we, if we think it might be wet, then we can start looking at having hot air drying to, to enable drying conditions. We can look at um, vacuum uh, pumps. And for fluids loads, we might be looking at uh, having fans installed to get, give us good um, circulation within the autoclave. So we, we, we're trying to understand what it's going to be used for. Often autoclaves are called multi-cycle autoclaves and they're used for porous and fluids loads. So I think before you start looking at manufacturers, uh, it's important to understand exactly what it's going to be used for and the complications that we might see going down the line. So if we, if we anticipate issues during the validation stage, and um, we can anticipate that before we go through with that purchase. So before the URS is written, we write that robustly because we know what we're going to be using it for.
1: Would you start looking into it already before you go to the user requirement specification, the URS, or uh, would it be already a part of it?
2: I think at that stage, you really want to get somebody, um, into the process who understands what's happening. So, um, it, it's very easy to order an autoclave. This company manufactures autoclaves. That's the autoclave we're going to buy that's within our budget, but actually I think um, to prevent any issues further down the line, it's much better to understand how are we going to be using it? What are the likely pitfalls during the qualification stage? Um, And how is the process going to work? How are we going to load it? And when you can understand all of that information, you can then start filling out your URS and saying, we're going to need this additional functionality. Because typically autoclaves come as an autoclave, and they'll come with functionality to sterilize the loads. But you can reduce the length of the cycle on the autoclave. You can improve um, the, the air removal, and you can improve the drying at the at the end of the cycle, all by specifying the right equipment at the right time. But it's not always necessary, so it doesn't usually come as standard.
1: Right. So, uh, so you mean there are autoclaves and there are vendors that are ready to do custom, uh, custom-made machines and uh, do software and hardware customization.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So so most of the big manufacturers will be able to um, specify your article for your application, and that would be whether you're meeting sort of a standard like EN285, which um, a European standard which focuses on, on air removal, and, and some of those aspects would include air detectors, which are used um, predominantly really in, in the UK and Ireland, but you'd need to specify that again in your URS. So that, that's kind of a basic example of something that you would need from a, a local perspective. Um, but, but sort of on the, on the broader scale, you, there will be issues potentially with, with wet loads, with air removal, that can be rectified if you, if you do that before you purchase the machine. And, and again, that's working with your suppliers to ensure that you get that.
1: Right. So it means that uh, you probably should have uh, engineers and experts that really understand Absolutely. how yeah. the physics works.
2: Yeah, I'm a a big advocate of bringing in validation as early as possible, uh, and and engineering, because these are the guys that work on the machines. They probably already work at them in your facility, and they understand how they work. They understand some of the issues that we're likely to face further down the line. And it's a a strange uh, issue, but if we can iron those issues out initially, an extra couple of weeks work um, at the URS stage will result in far less issues uh in the future for ongoing production and also it'll allow you to use that autoclave um continuously with less downtime because you won't be seeing some of the issues because you spec'd it correctly from from day one really
1: exactly so what are the biggest issues or the mistakes that companies do when they purchase uh, uh, the autoclaves you mentioned once that uh, they look at the budget that they have and then they uh, buy it according to the budget instead of the direct use requirements or their processes? Is there anything else that uh, people should be aware of when they're choosing them?
2: Well, yeah, I I mean, I guess um, the the budget is more... it, it's it's an autoclave so we'll buy that one we have x amount of money to spend it, that that's how the purchase decisions are often made obviously we need to meet the regulations and they're usually included in the urs uh, so the things like the materials of construction all the certificates the welding logs all of that information is is recorded and and most manufacturers would issue that standard um, it comes when we're working with with complex loads so uh if we've, if we've got some uh really complex loads that we're going to be placing through the autoclave if we uh, the type of wrapping that we're going to be used to wrap the load items that go into the autoclave all of these can have an impact on the validation and on the continued use so if if we have people who understand that then we can sort of um set the autoclave up to to function correctly from, from day one really
1: how do you write a good urs what should it contain
2: well, I think it's um, about understanding, like for example, you mentioned fluids. so product formats, if, if you've got a very large uh, fluid format, so let's say it's a liter uh, of, of product that's being sterilized, um, the question then would be how can we make sure that that cycle doesn't last for sort of eight or, or nine hours and, and if we can reduce that cycle time but still maintain that sterilization efficiency. So we can have the same level of kill but a shorter time frame on the cycle then it's perhaps not a quality issue, but we can increase productivity of that machine. So once you've purchased that autoclave, it's very difficult to retrofit some of the um, cooling cycles, for example, that might help cool that load, because a lot of the cycle time is taken up with not heating it up, but bringing it back to a safe temperature so you can open the autoclave. So we would want to look at that stage at what kind of additional capability can we add to the machine to allow those loads to cool faster so that that might involve spending extra money at the startup phase but that could save you weeks over a year in production timelines that you would lose for having a very long cycle so it's a mixture of anticipating exactly what it's going to be used for and how we can help reduce um, sort of timelines how we can help reduce uh, the potential for failures by improving various aspects so for fluids loads that's often the cooling phase so the heat up phase is normally normally quite good and um, but for porous loads that could be the air removal phase so if we have a a complex load with lots of uh, thin bore tubing or we have um, a tool can that might fit onto an isolator for example they uh, need to remove air from that load that's kept with inside a tool can that might go through a 0.2 micron filter. So we need to start thinking then about the the vacuum pump that we're using. We need to think about how we can um, control the rate at which vacuum pulses happen on the autoclave. Uh, We need to think about how we're gonna remove any excess moisture, about how we can uh, keep heat within the load during the cooling phase to uh, flash off any potential residual moisture at the end of the cycle so there's quite a few complex issues that can be addressed uh, with a, with a good urs at the very front so that would be looking at vacuum pulses at um uh, uh, to any additional drying cycle that we can add any overpressure so that might be putting additional um Uh, services onto the autoclave like hot air uh, or or compressed air Um, it might be having cooling water to the autoclave just to enable us to cool loads to to uh, remove air and to dry loads so it's something that's very difficult to retrofit so we can do that at the URS stage because we can anticipate it, I think. Right.
1: So it sounds like a lot of um, planning around with the functions and with the engineering of it, a lot of simulations. So how do you perform it basically with what parameters do you need to, uh, to look at? So are we talking about engineering that taking into account uh, the volume, the amount of uh, the equipment or the materials that you put inside and the size of them and the material they're made of, and th- that all comes to uh, the circulation and the parameters of the device, and then you see how you can uh, adjust or change it, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the load items themselves will affect the issues that we have, and and also how they're wrapped. So, um, for example, if we're transferring heavy stoppables on an isolator from the from the autoclave to the isolator itself, and um, how we transfer that going from that the grade A of the autoclave through then to the grade A of the isolator. that that transfer is really important. So we often use um, Tyvek bags, for example, and Tyvek bags are great for letting steam into the autoclave, into the, through the bag, to to the item that we're sterilizing, but they're quite bad at, at removing water from that bag. So we end up with small pools of condensate. So that's quite a common issue that we'll see on those kind of loads. And then we've got to think about how we can remove that. So we need as many tools in our toolbox within the autoclave fabrication to do that as possible. So if the URS hasn't been, uh, hasn't thought about that at the very early stages, we can end up with extremely long cycle times, and perhaps needing to replace the autoclave because we haven't considered how we're going to use it, what loads we have, and what potential issues we might face. So it's, same with the fluid cycle, for example, we're looking at it from a different angle, but we've got issues with that uh, cycle that we can improve quality and improve um, uh, the sterilization and improve timelines. So all of those issues can be resolved uh, with a little bit of consideration at the the URS stage, a little bit of uh, engineering input, a little bit of validation input can all help.
1: So after people and the engineers did their uh, job they written the urs they discussed everything with the manufacturer and they got uh, all the information back it looks good what are the next stages
2: and um, well, once uh, the article is constructed, you might do an FAT. So, you go to the factory and run various tests to make sure all the functionality is correct. Uh, you take a look at the software um, at uh, air removal. So, you might do some basic tests on the machine within the factory. And assuming everything's okay and any, any issues are identified at that stage, uh, you then move on to a site acceptance test uh, where you'll Uh, install it and then check everything's uh, functional and you'll move on to iq and uh, installation qualification so at that stage we'll look at everything uh, to do with the installation to do with the materials of construction so essentially that's everything before we turn it on i guess um so we want to see things like weld logs um and the wiring has that been done correctly Um, so we'll, we'll look over the whole machine we'll walk through the the process uh drawings and make sure that they're all correct as well and once that's completed we can then move on to the operational qualification and during that phase we'll look at things like the alarms uh we'll look at um the different aspects of uh, how the machine functions, the cycles that are already installed, uh, we'll test them. And we might do some additional work to test air removal. So, uh, are the cycles robust enough for the loads that we anticipate using? And um, so, we use uh, tests that are detailed in EN285 for that because uh, they. Uh, challenge the, the the autoclave cycles and um, rigorously so assuming we can meet that criteria we're at a good position and a good baseline to develop um the autoclave cycles for the production loads so once we've uh closed out the oq and we've done all of that testing we then move on to uh, cycle development now this is something that's not always performed but it's it's recommended f- particularly for um sort of complex loads uh, for, for fluids loads, we need to understand a few things really. First of all, are we, are we sterilizing all of the locations within a load? So we'll look at actual loads that are going to be used for production. We want to make sure that things like long lengths of tubing, um, filters, anything that we might expect to cause us an issue, um, is being sterilized effectively. So we're getting the right amount of time and temperature and To do that, we can then start tweaking the cycle to, to make sure that it's set up for those specific loads that we're getting the best results possible from that. Um, and, and once we're confident that we've got all of that data, um, we can also use the cycle development phase to look for any cold spots. So if, if we've got, um, slow to heat locations or, or cold locations within the chamber, that would indicate that we're not getting proper sterilization conditions. So we can then. Uh, identify any of those locations, and we would use those uh, going forward for the next step, which is the performance qualification. And that's uh, uh, where we would map in triplicate um, the load formats, so there might be multiple load formats. Each one would be mapped um, three times, and that would then qualify that load for use. And after that, it would be an annual re-qualification of each load to to ensure that it's still uh, meeting the requirements.
1: So how do you do the mapping? What are the techniques for
2: this? Um, the, yeah, uh, the, for, for the mapping, we want to uh, use uh, temperature sensors. And we can either use sort of wired uh, thermocouple type sensors, or we can use data loggers, wireless data loggers that are becoming increasingly popular. Um, and we place them throughout the autoclave loads uh, in in areas that we would assume to be worst case. So uh, we would place them within like long lengths of tubing, within filters, within vessels. Um, and we would try and map every single area within the chamber. So by that, I mean every single load item. And with each load item, we would look for that worst case location. And we would usually base that on air removal. So if it's, if it's hard to remove air from the load, we would place it in the areas that we deem to be hard to remove air from. And in addition to using these uh, the, the thermocouple sensors, we would also use biological indicators. Um, so we, that would have a, um, an organism on like geobacillus stephenophilus Uh, we would take them from the micro lab place them in those hard to sterilize locations put the load in the autoclave run a cycle through take them out again and then try and grow them up so we put them in an incubator um, and and try and grow them up over time to see if we can um if, if we can, obviously, that's a non-sterile load. We haven't been able to, to, to demonstrate sterility.
1: Do you do both of them, also sensors and the microbiological tests, or uh, they're interchangeable?
2: Yeah, um, normally for cycle development, we would focus on temperature only. So we're looking for those difficult to sterilize locations. But um, when you move into performance qualification and requalification, they go side by side. So you'd place a, a biological indicator next to a temperature sensor. Um and I guess that way, if we did see growth in a, in a biological indicator, we can then look at the temperature data and say, look, did we have uh, good air removal? Did we have uh, time temperature? Is there another issue here? Um, because steam sterilisation is, is about hitting the sweet spot uh, with, with, the, with the quality of the steam. It's very important that um, the steam's not too dry. Um, the organisms are killed by moist heat. So, um, what we need to make sure is the moisture that's within the steam, that's um, what breaks down the, the the cell wall of of microorganisms and bacteria. So, if it's dry heat, it takes a lot longer to kill. so if you if you can think about if you've had the experience of working with dehygenation tunnels, they operate at a higher temperature and generally for longer periods of time than the steam sterilizer. So, we might be at three hundred degrees rather than one hundred and twenty one degrees. And it's really because moist heat kills a lot faster than dry heat. So high temperature in an autoclave is not always a good thing. Um, so we could have a high temperature and no BI killed potentially if it was dry heat. Uh, so we're looking for both. It's a combination. I mean, historically, there's been a, a bias towards uh, biological indicators from the, in the US. And, and within Europe, we've looked more at kind of engineering and, and at temperature and thermal data. But I think the two of them together, um, it it sort of supports uh, biological kill, which demonstrates that we've got lethality within the autoclave, and and thermal data, which gives us uh, that engineering information as well.
1: Right. And are there also some kinds of uh, worst case scenario testings?
2: Yeah, there's uh, routine testing that we perform. So we'll perform things like uh, Bowie dip tests. So I've got one of those here. <laughs> it's uh, These go in the autoclave and they have a chemical indicator inside. So we run these on a daily basis and that chemical indicator changes from, in this case, from a, a sort of yellow colour to a blue colour and that tells us that we've got good air removal. So we've got good steam penetration into that pack. Um, we're also concerned with the uh, any leaks into the chamber. So if any air is leaking into the chamber, that can affect the sterilization. So we run a leak rate test um, that's normally performed uh, once a week or on a daily basis. And that'll give us any information to is there an issue with the integrity of the chamber that could affect the sterilization process. We also have um, in, in uh, the UK and Ireland particularly, we have uh, something called an air detector, which can detect any air within the chamber. Um, they're not commonly used outside the UK and Ireland though. So it is, uh, it's, it's more a, a kind of localized thing, but that there, there is various methods also during production, you can use chemical indicators or biological indicators that you can place within the autoclave. And that would then give you an indication that you've had sterilization conditions. And um, so you, there's, there's various tools that we can use, but really the the, the validation stage that qualification stage using the the biological indicators and the temperature sensors that's going to give us the most robust information and and, and kind of qualify that load
1: so what would you suggest that uh, companies never skip or always do Uh, from your experience if you see okay they haven't performed that or they didn't put enough work into this stage then they have those and those problems which cause them a lot of time during the production a lot of deviations are are there such uh, steps which uh, sometimes are overseen and uh, cause problems
2: there's a uh, there's a few issues that sort of regular pitfalls that people fall into and regular issues and one would be uh, wet loads that um easily overlooked uh there's there, there used to be a phrase that was uh, sensibly dry for an autoclave load uh which is kind of objective because um people would say, well, it, you know, it's only a little bit of water that's relatively sensible. I, I think the, the meaning from the original standard was it's detectable by the senses. So if you can see it, um, if you can touch it, if you can feel it, then then the load is wet. And, and um, with wet loads, what we're concerned about is that can easily get recontaminated with microorganisms. So something like that is is an issue and it's something to to, to be aware of. Um, And it could also be an an issue with uh, the quality of the steam that we're using in the autoclave as well, that could affect that that wet load. So um, I think it, for me it's important that the the weekly tests are performed that we're running leak rates and we're, we're doing preventative maintenance on the machine and that we've got regular uh, validation that's looking into those uh load items and looking into the, the complex areas and making sure that we haven't got any issues with air removal and that everywhere's being effectively sterilized but on a basic level I I think people should be using biological indicators and and, uh, temperature sensors and and placing them correctly in the worst case load uh, areas. Right. As a minimum, really. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So
1: uh, Chris, so to summarize a bit the consequences, right? So we talked there, um, it seems that qualification of the autoclaves and even the choosing the right ones uh, is quite big work and it's uh, quite complicated and should taken lightly so what are the biggest issues if you don't follow all this and do it incorrectly so you mentioned uh, you if you don't design it correctly you look you can lose days even weeks of production time which uh, really costs you a lot of money so this is a, a one then you can get much more deviations on your head which means you need to do much more reworks and uh, documentation, and uh, again your production is um, has a big a step back, and um, you have uh, you again lose money. Is there anything else?
2: Yeah, I guess we, we, when when we're looking at that, if if we do have a production failure uh, and it's a regular failure, it, it, it's it's an awful lot of time. Your your machine can be out for a week w- without being able to use it at all. And that could happen fairly regularly. And it, it's all about, uh, ens- first of all, with the URS ensuring that that doesn't happen and that we've got that kind of, uh, bef- we're aware at the, at the URS stage that we can put something in there to to uh, prevent it from happening, or if it does happen to help resolve it. Um, but also it's about understanding any failures that you do get and understanding the implications of any changes that you make and that's what we, where we see a common pitfall is, is there might be an issue with a uh, uh, the um equilibration time which is I i haven't really gone into that but It's part of the data that we're looking for to, to make sure that all of the temperatures within the chamber come up to temperature within the required time so that that's either 15 seconds or 30 seconds depending on the size of the autoclave but if that fails there are various ways that you can fix it but but there is a, the right way to do it. And then there, there, there are other ways that can resolve the issue, but can lead to potential future issues. So it, it's about understanding any changes that you make to an autoclave cycle and, and the potential impact that that might have on the future. And it's very difficult to uh, get that message across for people to understand that you really need to understand exactly what you're changing on an autoclave to to ensure that it continues to function correctly. And you're not saving up issues for later on down the line, really.
1: Right. So it's a really big process. A a lot of uh, background knowledge should be there and uh, there should be SMEs. On this spot because it's not just a, a production issue, a QA issue. You really need to understand how this simple equipment works. You know, it it, it should be yeah. yeah. But it's it's not the same. But it is
2: like you say, it's a really simple piece of equipment. it All it is is a box with steam in yeah. it. But, um, but it, it causes a lot of problems. And anybody who runs our clothes will know there are, there are always issues and. Uh, it's about minimising those issues and preventing any, any continuous downtime and ensuring the quality as well throughout. And, and and I guess detecting any failures, you know, that's ultimately nobody wants uh, um, any non-sterile units going out of the door. You know, we want to make sure that, that they're all sterile and we have confidence in it. So we we need to make sure that we're detecting any failures as, as they might arise. And uh, we're preventing any issues that might cause equipment downtime. So we're optimizing the process, really. That's that's particularly with the URS. I think that's really important that we optimize that process, get it set up so it can uh, perform uh, and function correctly uh, as, as, as well as possible, as fast as possible, and to the right standards as well.
1: Right. And uh, to help people with it, you have also created several several of uh, free workshops and that uh, should help people uh, with uh, uh, those issues right
2: yeah absolutely so we've we've got a few on on things like we mentioned wet loads earlier on there's uh there's some of those that people can can watch so it's the, um, the workshops and the webinars is called Validation Workshop. It's all on LinkedIn and people can access it uh, on there. So if you just search for Validation Workshop on there, you can you can access all of the, the back catalogue. And hopefully if you do have any issues like that on site, you can you can just sort of watch uh, a webinar and it, it should be point you in the right direction. But uh, yeah, I think it's useful to have that information out there. So I, I'm hoping that people enjoy it and, and find it useful. But uh, yeah, it's been going for nearly uh, 10 months now or something like that. And it's, it's good fun to do. And I think people enjoy visiting. So,
1: <laughs> so it's a, a live one and you also have recordings?
2: That's right. Yeah. So um, they're, they're live. We do them once a month. Uh, they're on various topics and, and people can vote uh, for wh- whichever topic they prefer. Um, and uh, they're, they're once a month, usually on the first Thursday of the month. And um, you can rewatch them on our website, which is thermalcompliance.com um, and, and look at the back catalogue on them as well.
1: Okay, perfect. So I really recommend people to come and visit those uh, workshops, especially as uh, they're complementary, And uh, I think you can learn much from that and save a lot of uh, pain down the line, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs)
1: Chris, thank you again uh, for uh, this talk and uh, uh, for bringing this autoclave world and showing how complex it can be if you don't know what you need to
2: do. Oh, no problem. No problem. I hope people found it. Useful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank okay. you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Talks podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about GMP, please visit us at www.qualistory.com. Stay compliant and see you at the next one.